The following is a production by Cutting to the Chase Podcast. Brett Taylor of Bleacher Nation, thanks for coming on. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, definitely. So right away, I want to talk about Bleacher Nation. I'm curious how that got started. It's grown into a beast, obviously. You're a huge Twitter presence. So uh, how did Bleacher Nation get going? Oh, well, thank you for the kind words. I don't definitely. know that I've been... I don't know that I, I mean, I guess you didn't call me a beast, but I'm taking it as you calling oh, me a beast. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know that anyone ha- has ever called me a beast before. So I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to glow for a me bit. As well, right? Definitely. <laughs> uh, yeah. So let's see. Well, so I am a huge online baseball nerd going back to like the old days of like really old message boards and stuff like that. And, uh, then, and so I just was a participant on, on old boards like that. And I was uh, a lawyer in a past life. Mm. And that was a, uh, it wasn't the right fit for me. It was, it was just, you know, I was at a large law firm and it just personality wise, uh, family wise just wasn't for me. And, and I had started doing this little website on the side, Pleacher Nation, just to uh, try to, I don't know, y- y- lawyering, you're reading and writing all day long. That's all you do. And, uh, or at least the version of lawyering that I did. And I wanted to like write about something that I actually cared about sometimes and read about something I actually cared about sometimes. And so I, I started doing that nights and weekends kind of deal for about um, three and a half years. And by the end of that, uh, my wife and I had just had our first kid and I knew that long-term the law firm wasn't going to be a fit for me. Uh, and it, you know, Bleach Nation wasn't big enough to be like a job or anything at that point, but I kind of thought, I'm like, well, I'm working 60 hours a week at the law firm. Plus I'm doing 15 on Bleach Nation. Anyway, if I transpose that, maybe I could make this a thing. And, um, so I did, and that was mid 2011. And so it's coming up on about 10 years now. And like you said, we've, you know, since it was just a Cubs site back then, now we also cover the bears and the bulls and I've got three other full-time guys that, uh, work, uh, together with us and then another part-time guy. So, uh, I definitely, I don't know that I ever had designs on it. Uh, turning into that i think it just i just dreamed hey maybe i can write about the cubs for a living um but i am am very grateful and appreciative that you know it's it's become a nice decade-long career yeah definitely and you mentioned the bears and the bulls that was kind of more recent right or has that been kind of going for a while yeah the bears um so our our main bears writer luis medina he actually was like a part-time contributor uh, on the Cubs side, uh, cause I've known him for a really long time. And, um, th- about gosh, maybe three years ago now we kind of thought, yeah, maybe, you know, cause I would get that question a lot. It's like, Hey, you know, I really like Bleacher Nation. What's a site like Bleacher Nation, but for bears. And I didn't, I didn't always have quite a great answer for it. Cause partly because like that style, our style of 
of like sort of old school blogging site where you're just sort of covering everything and dropping your commentary on it. Um, it's, it's faded a lot. There just aren't a lot of them anymore in that I'm aware of. And, um, anyway, so, uh, we kind of thought, well, maybe Luis could do that because he's a big time bears guy. And it, admittedly, uh, I mean, Luis has always been great, but like actually getting the bears coverage to a place where it was like justifiable, you know, to like have another full-time person, um, where it isn't just like the Cubs coverage subsidizing the bears coverage, essentially that, you know, that has taken like three years of basically investing in it to get it there where it's now it's now our, our bears, um, coverage and, you know, interest is, is at a pretty good level. And so, and then bulls, we added about a year and a half ago, Eli is, um, uh, is our main writer there. Shouts to Michael Sarami. He's, he's actually a partner with me in the, the overall business, but he also helps out on the writing and editing side. So you plan on, uh, I guess even bringing in the Blackhawks or any other teams, or I'm not sure how you guys yeah. kind of come up with how you're able to kind of, you know, bring in new teams or whatnot. Yeah. I love these meta conversations, by the way, nobody like not, not so many people are super interested in this side of things. And it's like, it, and and I'm sure we will talk about the Cubs, but it's just funny. Cause it's like, I talk about, oh, yeah. I talk about oh, the yeah. Cubs all day long. Whereas I never get to talk about this stuff. Um, well, I'll drop a little little news on you that we haven't. It's not public yet, but um, we we're going to be hiring a Blackhawks writer before the end of this year. And it's just yeah, it's been it's been a matter of you know I added the Bears coverage in part because like people had asked most about the Bears at that time, and as a sort of a test, like can we do this? Does the style translate? Does our understanding of the marketplace and what people want and like our ability to connect to people as fans. Cause fundamentally that's what we are. We're just fans of these teams and that was a success. So that's why we're like, okay, let's try bulls. Let's see how it goes. And that's been a success. And it's like, okay, so let's try Blackhawks. Now this is of relevant to your interests as a hockey guy. Like the, the, it's going to be tough. I got to tell you because so uh, like, obviously I'm a, I'm primarily a baseball guy, yeah. but, I knew football. I mean, I, I know it and it's been a pretty good transition for me to go from being like a, a fantasy football type fan to like, now I'm, I'm pretty hardcore about the bears now. Um, and then again, basketball, I grew up watching the bulls in the nineties, like everybody. Um, so it's not that it, it has, you know, I'm not doing the coverage, but I need to understand sort of the community and like the structure of the organization and, and all that kind of stuff, because I still like to provide input at an editorial level on like what our coverage is, should look like. And for hockey, I gotta tell you, I'm pretty dumb when it comes to it. And so like, I mean, I've, I, I go to some blue jackets games sometimes and I, I, I do understand the sport, but to be able to cover it in a way that's like, going to actually provide value to people is a way far afield for me. So it's going to be interesting going through that process and finding the right person to be that voice of, of Blackhawks coverage at Bleacher Nation. But I'm excited to do it again because it's, it's really challenging when you add another sport, but it's also fun to try to build it up. It's kind of like you got to find your Theo Epstein for the hockey, uh, the hockey side of <laughs> it's things. True. Yeah, it is. Cause it's like, you want to find like, I don't, it, it's a balance between that person has to have a voice that fits in with what we do. Cause we want right. it to be like portable across the sports, 
But like, we also want that person to be an individual where it's like, they've got their own style and like, and maybe it's easier for us internally to see than people externally. But like, if I read something that Luis wrote, I know it's Luis. If I read something yeah. that Michael wrote, I know it was Michael or Eli. I know it's Eli. And we want that to kind of be the feel because we want readers to still have some connection to the actual human behind what's being written. Yeah, I think it's just an awesome uh, story just to, you know, you were a lawyer and now you're like, I want to do this stuff with, you know, Cubs writing, etc. I think it's just really cool. And, you know, I, I got into the whole writing podcasting thing so randomly. I, uh, you know, I was a communications major in college, but I never envisioned doing writing. I just, Same. I wanted to work in sports, right? And so I had an internship with a couple of baseball, minor league baseball teams, and I was working in insurance and I was like, this sucks. I quit my job. I went to the winter meetings. I actually got my internship before going to the winter meetings in Nashville back in late 2015, but it was the year right before the Cubs won it all. I was in the hotel that Ben Zobris was signed at. So, you know, it was cool nice. being at the winter meeting. Have you been to the winter meetings before? No. It was... Uh, no, it's... It's one of those things that's been like the last three years. I'm like, I got to do it yeah. one of these years. And at least now, and this year, I can blame the pandemic. Exactly. Yeah, I know, right? And yeah, um, the winter meetings was really cool. I was so prepared to do the whole job fair thing. And I'm glad I got my internship before I did because it's stressful, obviously, going through any job search, let alone not knowing if you're going to go to this thing and not come away with something. But I ended up, so I ended up getting the writing and stuff really randomly. And now it's just, you know, I'm, I've figured out how to do what I think I'm <laughs> with podcasting. I have figured out how to edit and do all that stuff. But yeah, I'm really interested in the whole, you know, watching, you know, I was, I was used, I used to do uh, Cubby's crib for fan sided. So I remember looking at sure. Bleacher Nation articles and I was like, oh, this is cool. I like what they're doing over there and, you know, seeing it grow and you become this one of the, you know, a key member, I would say, of the Cubs Twitter. So it's been really cool to see you uh, turn into what you've turned into, basically. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. It is, it is cool. It's also, it's just, it is surreal because it's, it, unless I have a conversation like this, a lot of times I'm like, holy shit, like, oh my God, it's been 10 years. And it's like the, the arc of what I thought it was going to be and what it is now is, um, it's pretty wild. Yeah, I mean, you got that blue check mark on Twitter and all that. I mean, it's, it's definitely <laughs> uh, there's, right. There's no, no, but uh, yeah, it's really cool to see. Now, um, before we do get into the Cubs, you're also you also do a podcast at the Athletic called On the Waveland, right? Yep, yep. We're I, uh, we're currently on hiatus just for the start of the off season, but uh, yeah, Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Mooney, who are the beat guys at the Athletic, and um, uh, yeah, it's a nice uh, you know. Yeah, it's funny. It's I don't know. It just happened randomly. They reached out to the athletic podcasting people. Reached out, I think, because they knew I had done a podcast previously with Sahadev for a number of years, way back when. And I think, candidly, I think they also wanted to sort of tap into our audience a little bit and have that angle, which is fine by me. But I like doing it because you know I'm not a beat writer and I'm not traditional media. Right. But it's nice to to that, I don't know. It's nice to participate in that world a little bit more because they just saw how Patrick just have such a different perspective on things than I do. And so it's, I think that then makes for decent conversations. I, I get to be like the, the fan. I, I just represent the, the fan voice. Yeah. I think that's really cool. It's kind of similar. I, you know, do writing and podcasting for the blue jackets, Espedation page at the Canon. And so we're obviously fans, but you know, it's kind of fun to have that, you know, we'll do our podcast and we'll have media and all that, you know, on there as well. So it's really fun to be able to kind of have a second to be like, okay, we're fans, but we're talking with, you know, Jody Shelley or whatever media member, for instance. Sure. So, yeah. So, oh yeah. So definitely going into the Cubs now, 
uh, obviously, <laughs> so I have my notes and I just put Cubs hyphen just overall thoughts, LOL. That's legit like what I wrote because I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, the whole season was just obviously the pandemic aside, uh, whatever you want to call it. The Cubs have their own question marks all over the field. So, yeah, I mean, where, where can you even start with that team, right? Where do you start? <laughs> you know, it's like um, you're speaking to me on a deep level when it comes to like our coverage and stuff, because it's like, how many times do I have to, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the start of the pandemic, right? When all, you know, we're doing sports coverage, but it was like, it was appropriate to be like, Hey, and look, well, we know that this is not important in the grand scheme of things, but it's our job to cover this and put it in the context of sports and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I had to caveat that for like a month everything we wrote had that block. And it's like, at some point you have to just be like, okay, everybody knows they know the deal and you can just say the thing. And I'm, I'm in that zone again with the Cubs off season, much less important. Uh, look, I'm saying I'm caveating again, much right. less important topic, but I feel like everything I write has to be caveated with this. Hey, so, you know, they lost a ton of money and they've said that and they've gone to great lengths to say that and let you know. So that means they're probably not going to be, doing anything too sexy this off season and da, 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 da. And it's like, at some point I want to be able to transition to just being like, that's the world. We have to accept it. It sucks as a fan, but that is the world. And so now we have to analyze things like, are the Cubs going to non-tender Kyle Schwarber? And like, I'm not endorsing that. I'm not saying as a fan, I want that, but yeah. in this world where they have to cut salary in a, a meaningful, massive way, it's like, okay, that might make sense. And let's analyze that. But I'm, I'm, I'm right at that edge of flipping into that mode, but I'm kind of nervous to do it because I know that it's going to seem like I'm saying, oh, this is a really great idea to cut this player. And like, it's like, no, that's not what I'm saying. It's just within the universe that we exist right, right. now. That's how it's going to be. Yeah. And, you know, before the season, there was always the rumors around guys like Bryant and are they going to extend him or Baez? And yeah, and as you mentioned it with the pandemic and the money being tight, and it was tight even before the season, at least according to Ricketts. And it's like, do you think, I mean, I guess nothing could really surprise you at this point, but did you ever envision a guy like Bryant being no. traded before his contract was up or, you know, because of the whole Boris angle or? Well, I think to me, upon, ref you know, this is a combination of things that were publicly made available, things that I heard privately um and mm -hmm. and the uh, a lot more context i think the cubs really did have an interest in trading bryant last year last offseason um and i think the if people remember the service time grievance that was playing out um over the course of the offseason which delayed their ability to really market him until uh, late January. And by then it's just very hard for teams to fit a guy like that in their budget because it's already set. And so now, even if last year they were like, yeah, we're, we're going to trade him. I'm not going to say that publicly, of course. Yeah. Right. Now he's coming off a year where uh, he was terrible and okay. So maybe we throw that out because it's pandemic year. It's small sample. There's a, there's a million reasons He's not alone. There's a whole lot of really good players that had shit years. Yeah. And maybe we throw that out. Okay. Well, but he was also injured again. And so that's three years in a row that he's mm -hmm. had, you know, some performance issues. Okay. Now you also throw in, he's going to get a little raise in arbitration. 
Now you also throw in that it's only one year of team control instead of two. And now you also throw in that the pandemic's impact on teams' budgets means that $20 million for Chris Bryant now, even if his performance was the same, is a lot pricier than $20 million last year. You combine all that stuff, and I think the big thing when it comes to trading Chris Bryant, which I do still believe the Cubs would prefer to do, as painful as it may be for some fans to hear that, I think that is still their preference. I think people need to be prepared, and I'm trying to help prepare fans for the idea that his trade value, given the contract situation and given everything we just said, is very minimal. It's just very, very minimal right now. And that I think that's a brutal reality for folks, given how important he's been to the organization, how good he has been, how good he can be. Uh, but that's what it's looking like. And I think that because he's the guy who makes is, is sort of the biggest chunk of money that would be maybe the most easily offloaded. I think you've got to look at him as an extremely likely trade candidate, especially before uh, the Cubs have to tender him a contract on December 2nd. Um, but again, this all runs up against an industry-wide uncertainty about revenues and expectations for next year. And the pool of teams that are going to be willing at this moment to add $20 million to their books for next year is going to be really small. And that's going to further drive down the price tag. So just, yeah. yeah. Brace yourselves, Cubs fans, because it's not going to be pretty. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just crazy. I go back. I don't know about you. I'm sure you do, too. I go back to the night the Cubs won the World Series and think, man, this is on top of the world. It's only going to get better. And it's just been a steady <laughs> decline. I mean, 17, you know, it's I always chalk up, you know, whoever wins the World Series that next year, you know, they had it. They went to the NLCS. I mean, it was like, OK, sure. it wasn't horrible. It wasn't a bad year. You think 18, they got Darvish. Madden said it was his best rotation. You thought, okay, they're going to reset and be ready to go. And then the offense started to do it, you know, and ever since it's just been the steady decline, basically. And, you know, now Baez, I don't know if you just throw out this year with the pandemic and no video video in the dugout and things like that. Or do you think, wow, this was such a drop off after, you know, MVP runner up seasons to this. Uh, what is your vibe on Baez? Well, it's, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you, you have started the conversation exactly where everybody's head is. I think what's interesting and what I think fans maybe forget is before 2018, when it was the MVP runner up season, which, and he did trail off in that year. Um, our minds sort of, we, we remember what's first a lot better. And like, he was just explosive through most of the year. But then when you sort of look at his season end numbers, it was really good offensively, but it wasn't crazy superstar offensive level. And then 2019, again, I think he had a weighted runs created plus of like 114 or something. So you're talking about a guy who's 14% better than league average. Excellent for a stud defensive shortstop. Excellent. But but not even close to on the level of some of the best offensive shortstops. And that was 2019, right? Before 2018, Javi kind of settled in as like a league average bat or slightly below. And and again, people forget, but like in 2015, 2016, 2017. Um, we were okay with that. We were like, he is a stud on the bases. He's a stud defensively. Okay, the bat's never going to get to where we hoped it would, but this is still a really valuable player. And then, of course, 2018 happens, especially that first half of 2018, and we're like, oh, shit, Javi unlocked it. He's a superstar now. Um, so fast forward to 2020, my instinct is with him, he never seemed right, all right from the get-go. He just never seemed right. And then when the whole video stuff came out that that um 
that he was conceding that like, no, the not having in-game video is a serious issue for me. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being a homer. I kind of buy it. Uh, oh yeah. I kind of yeah. think that maybe you give him a full regular season even last year. And I think he probably looks very different offensively. I don't know that he's 2018 hobby, but I think probably an above average bat. Sure. And you pair that with a gold glove shortstop and that's a stud. So with him, I think you are less likely to see teams, you know, if if we were talking trade, which I don't know that we would with hobby, but if we were, I think you're less likely to see teams um, really dinging him for 2020 in the same way that they might with Bryant with the performance down and with the injury combination of stuff with Javi. I think the more interesting conversation is the extension talks that we know had progressed. It they progressed pretty substantially by, by the time things shut down in March. Now you're looking at a situation where he is coming up on free agency and it's going to be a historically strong shortstop class. Okay. Lindor, Correa, Story, uh, Seager, I mean, I'm missing guys. It's, it is so loaded that I'm like missing guys. And if you're Javi, here's your question. You, do I bet on myself that I can bounce back next year? It, because the range of possible contracts for him in free agency right now, or if he has a great year in 2021, he's right back up there, 100 mil plus. Let's, let's assume revenues stabilize and he's right back up there. He's going to get paid. Even in a loaded class, he'll get paid. Uh, but if he has a mediocre year, not even a down year, just a mediocre year, it, God, guys at that level are getting squeezed in free agency right now. He might be looking at a really, really small deal. And so if you're, if you're hobby right now and you're thinking about that, I think that you're probably going to feel some pressure, especially again, given the class next year, given that the CBA expires after this year, you're probably feeling some pressure to be like, maybe I can get a deal done now and an extension. And if you're the Cubs, I would argue, even if you're worried about revenues next year, just structure the contract to account to account for that. You know, backload it uh, because you you still have an opportunity. Unless you think the sport is going to be dead in two years, you've got an opportunity to lock down uh, a guy whose floor is stud defensive shortstop, maybe league average bat. And if you get him on a reasonable deal for the next five six years or whatever, I mean, and people love him. It's like you just keep hobby. You know, be like that's part of this has to be part of the equation too. Uh, we're, you're playing for the fans. So maybe a little bit of fan service isn't the worst thing in the world. So I don't know. I'm probably being overly optimistic on that front, but boy, I would just love to see a, an extension that makes everybody happy done with hobby this off season to be kind of the one nice thing in an off season that is otherwise probably going to be not fun. I know. Can you imagine? I mean, I don't know how much doubt there were amongst fans when the Rizzo option was a thing and luckily he's back. But I mean, you start you start the wonder. You start with the way everything is going and other teams, Cardinals with uh, Wong. And it's just, I never really thought he'd be gone, but I was like, what if they did? But yeah, so he's back. Yeah. And the fact that it was even a conversation right. at all. Right. Pr- that that pretty much sums up the state of things. It's just just like, and in, in Will, we're going to be right back here in a month because it's going to be the non-tender conversation. And it's going to be like, shit, if they can't trade Chris Bryant, are they going to non-tender him? Mm. That's It's going to be the exact same thing. And it's going to be the same level of like, there's no way, right? Is there? I think there isn't. Is there? And that's just, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. And so Rizzo's back, the Scalso's gone, but I mean, you kind of said it with the financial way, you know, the way things are financially, can all they really do is sign another Daniel Descalso type? <laughs> if that. Yeah. I mean, I think 
I think they would even tell you, we don't know. I think that's what they would say. This is, we don't know. Um, the way I understand what the Cubs are doing for budgeting purposes is they're creating tiers of budget possibilities based on revenue expectations, which although there's other stuff that goes into that, the biggest one is when can we have fans at the stadium and how many, and how many do we think will actually come back? Um, and it, you know, that starts with the vaccine and it's like the experts don't know when we're going to have that. So it's like, how is a sports industry supposed to know? So they create these tiers of possibilities. And I think the most realistic one is going to be a, a, such a substantial cut from payroll from last year that, you know, unless the Cubs are very successful in some trades that unload some salary and also bring back some useful guys to fill spots, at best, we're looking at an offseason where the Cubs are going to have to win some low dollar deals, scouting wins where it's like, oh, this guy was undervalued. Mm. Now, the good news on that side is the market should be loaded with a whole lot of guys like that because there's just going to be so many non-tenders and so many free agents are going to linger. If you're looking for a silver lining, it's that if you are very good at identifying low cost pieces, this is going to be the off season for you. And to their credit, the Cubs have been very, very good at doing that on the bullpen side of things. That's yeah, really the yeah. one area they've, they've done it and they've done it very successfully. Haven't so much seen it with starting pitching. That's going to be an opportunity and definitely haven't seen it on the you know hitting side. I try to think, I'm like, when is the last time the Cubs picked up somebody offensively sort of late in the off season on a super cheap deal who really mattered, Chris Coughlin. And that's like five years ago. Um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody obvious, but like it, it, to the point being, it just hasn't been a, a very common area of success for them. And they are going to have to succeed at that this offseason. Yeah, you know, going back to Bryant, one thing I always, I, I know like, I think, you know, it's, it's been the shoulder and other ailments, things like that. I always go back, even if this was, if this has not been, kind of the root of anything it just in my head i always go back to 18 when he got hit in the head and it just seems like ever since he's been off even though if, even if that's not it whatsoever it just it's just hard not to remember that uh i mean take a ball to the head that's never going to feel good anyway no matter what but you know it's like one thing i've always questioned too with the cubs and this goes back to the jim hendry days even probably before that but just injuries and the way it seems like it seems like so often they say it's no big deal. He'll be back soon. And then he's out a month or whatever. And it's just something I've always thought about when it comes to certain guys. And it seems like the way they kind of operate with injuries these days sometimes. For the longest time, I would chalk it up to every sports fan thinks it about their team because it's the team that they follow the closest. Injuries are annoying. And so yeah. we just think this about all of our teams. And, and that's probably still true. It probably is. That's probably the answer. Does it sure seem like the last three or four years that the Cubs have been fiercely opposed to using the injured list and instead play shorthanded for five or six days and then have a guy play through something that he shouldn't be playing through? I mean, God, even with Bryant specifically, it's like how many times have we had this conversation where it feels mm. like if players want to play and they will tell you that they are fine and they will play through anything and it's like you get two weeks worth of data and analysis to tell you the guy is not fine. You should pull the plug. And sometimes you got to be the, you got to be dad and be like, Hey, we need you to sit down. And, and I wonder if that is the area where the Cubs have struggled to connect with some of these guys. Um, 
yeah, I, I, I hate, I, I should, I should caveat this by saying, I hate speculating about injuries. I don't know. I'm not in the room, right? whatever. There could be great right. reasons why things have played out. I'm just saying it sure seems like the last few years, there have been several guys mm-hmm. who've played through injuries that they shouldn't have and their production suffered greatly for it. Even a guy like the Scalsa, I mean, he struggled, but he was hurt. You know, it's, he played, I agree. Like people, I mean, I know he's become like a punchline with Cubs fans, right, but right. he, you know, he only was healthy for like two weeks after Agreed, that signing yeah. and exactly. hurt the ankle really bad and then mm-hmm. played through it for months, months. And then we're hearing later in stories like, no, actually he was like seriously hurt. It was massively mm-hmm. injured. What are you doing? And then right. he hasn't played since. And I'm not like, I don't know. I can't say that that's why, but it is sort of like, I don't know. Did the guy, did you let the guy wreck his own career by letting him play through it? I don't know. Who knows? Exactly. Right. Exactly. Now, and with Baez, I definitely buy the no video being, you know, I definitely give validity to that. And it should Um, be back. It should be back next year. So that's, yeah, we'll we'll have a data point. Definitely. And to that end, though, it's, it was pleasantly the good, the good stuff with the Cubs from this past season. It was pleasantly, you know, a good surprise to see guys like Hayward and Hap play well. You know, I mean, we always gave Hayward crap for not, you know, offensively and all that, but he had a nice year. Hap had a really nice year. Um, and of course, Darvish and Hendricks. I mean, I know Hendricks sometimes off and on, but I've, I've always been a huge fan of Hendricks. I like what he can do. I always kind of thought of him as an ace. And of course, Darvish now is basically the ace. Uh, he might win the Cy Young. I mean, it's just been great to see a guy like Darvish kind of re- redeemed after the Astros World Series, all that stuff, the injuries. And now he has just really turned it around. So that's been great to see for sure. Yeah, with all those guys, with the, when it was good, you know, the season was totally legit. They, they were, that was all real. The guys who struggled, it's like, oh, I don't know. No, it's just a short season. No, but I, I kid, but, but seriously, you do try to look under the hood and be like, okay, well, but set the numbers aside. What's the guy actually doing? And does it, you know, demonstrate why we see the success? And certainly with Darvish, watch any of his starts and you can see, yeah. oh yes, he's doing this. Um, uh, Jason Hayward, there was some really nice under the hood stuff that we'll be getting into over the course of the off season, but I wanted to give a shout. It's, you know, cause we focus a lot on the guys who struggled this year. I guess I should give the whole team a shout. They did win the division, so they must've done something. Right. Okay. Yeah. But right. um, a guy who I think deserves a lot of love is Craig Kimbrell. His, mm. his end of season numbers were not pretty again. Um, but, and, and I think it's easy to like, look at that, look at what happened last year with him and be like, ah, just mm-hmm. total bust. Okay, first of all, yeah, he got signed late, didn't have a spring training, and then almost immediately hurt his knee. See, watch, we're getting back into this. And he pitched through it and just never quite got his velocity built back up. Mechanical issues developed. That 2019 year I, of his, I can completely throw away. Okay, so yeah. fast forward to this, and he's got to do the, the weird ramp up again. And his first four outings this year, uh, he looked terrible. He looked lost. His release point was a mess. Uh, he could not get a single swing on his slider or excuse me, his knuckle curve. And it became this like on, running joke where he like threw like 50 of them, did not get a single swing. And when that's happening, it's because the batters are differentiating your pitches way too easily. And they know they don't have to swing at that one. And it was like, okay, now I can accept maybe he was just a bust and whatever. And then they shut him down for about a week to work on his mechanics. And I will admit, I was kind of like, this is probably not going anywhere good. And sure enough, man, that guy came back and he was perfect, perfect through the end of the year, about a month and a half of just, 
he was the best really it was him and Devin Williams best relievers in baseball for the last month and a half and um he looked the part all the data and all the metrics looked good and so now I think it was just fl- like I throw 2019 away for a million reasons and then those mm-hmm. first four outings he was just getting his mechanics right and it's like I I believe he will be fine next year he will be great next year so I just want to give that shout that for him yeah, and I think next, uh, if we have a normal spring training, that would be his first in like four years, I think. I mean, he hasn't oh, yeah, had a spring right. training. Uh, you know, you mentioned it last year, this year. I mean, it's just been every year, it seems like the last few years, he's had this weird, you know, lack of spring training, no spring training. So I'm sure that definitely plays a part too. And I'll be, you know, I'm just curious to see how guys continue, uh, you know, whether it's Nico Horner continuing to develop. Uh, you know, I guess uh, if you had to, I mean, I know it's probably hard, or maybe not, but if you kind of had to maybe project uh, like a guy that you're looking forward to seeing more of, whether it's an established veteran or an up and coming guy, or maybe even a guy that's not even on the team yet that you're kind of thinking about, like this guy could be the next, you know, not necessarily a superstar, but just a guy to keep your eye on, or he might make an impact, or is it just too hard to God, say right now? There's so many. Yeah. That's why it's hard for me. Uh, cause one, broadly speaking, I hope we have minor leagues next year. Cause yeah. there's a shitload of prospects that I want to see that have been out of action for so long, at least visible to us. But at the big league level, I think it's impossible not to be really excited and want to see Adber Alzali again, mm-hmm. yep. uh, after, especially his last two starts where he, I mean, he developed a slider in season and then just deployed it. And it was like his nastiest pitch and he never had a slider before. So that was very exciting. Similarly. Obviously, everyone will remember the no-hitter, uh, and Alec Mills, overall, his season actually wasn't that great, but you know, I- I'm curious to see what he does this offseason to reduce some of... Uh, he, got, he got tagged a lot by lefties last year, and so I'm, I'm curious to see if he can improve on that for next year, um, and we know that, especially for budgetary reasons, they're both going to get a shot in the rotation, yeah. a really nice, full and fair shot, so I look forward to that. In the bullpen, uh, I actually think the Cubs sneakily got a great one in Jason Adam. Uh, he was one of their many sort of, you know, fringy signings where like he does one thing really well and maybe they can play with it and, and prove him. And gosh, just his stuff is incredible. And so I, I'm really excited to see him. And uh, you mentioned Nico. I, I honestly think he just needs time at AAA. He got kind of screwed by the yeah lack of a minor league season. The Cubs, were, it was like either they keep him and he can play or he goes to the alternate site and they don't, they're, they're playing fake games. So they opted to keep him up and it seemed relatively clear that the bat just wasn't quite ready. Uh, so, you know, I hope he gets a chance to do some development time next year. Yeah, definitely. And I was curious, so you live in Columbus, right? I do. Are you from Chicago or have you, all, have you lived in Chicago before? No, I, so I'm Ohio my whole life, but my, uh, gotcha. my dad's family was from the Chicago area um, okay. before I was born. And so kind of grew up with, the Chicago connection that way. And, but then mostly it was watching the Cubs on WGN come home from school and that's, that's the ball game that's on. And so I just got, got hooked and it hasn't let me go. Yeah. Same. Uh, I've never lived in Chicago. I've been there twice ever, but, uh, yeah, my dad's family is from Chicago. So I went to a Cubs game in, uh, a one the day they got Fred McGriff. I was at that game against St. Louis. Yeah. In fact, Daryl Kyle was pitching for the Cardinals and he died a year later, of course, in Chicago. Uh, but I was at that game in a one. I think the Cubs were in first place that game that I was at back in, I want to say it was late 
July, I'm guessing, because they got McGriff right near the deadline, I think. But uh, yeah, so I was at that game. And then we went back in 06, and I went to a White Sox game that year. But yeah, growing up, watching the Cubs on WGN, kind of had that. So 03 was, I, I'm I'm 32. I just had my birthday last week. But uh, 03 was my first. Happy birthday. Me, t- me too. That's actually. right. That's right. I, just, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. We, yeah. we exchanged a little uh, belated happy birthday. Exactly. That's, that's right. how the podcast came to, to be, because I was like, oh, yeah, that's we need right. to get back to that. But yeah, so I'm uh so I was gonna say my so O three was my first like heartbreak year for the Cubs, I guess, obviously, for obvious reasons, because you know, ninety-eight, uh I just that's what I remember really getting into baseball was the late nineties. But uh O three was of course the first like heartbreak year, I guess, for me. And then O eight I thought they were gonna do it, and then of course they didn't even show up in the playoffs, but you know that. But yeah, so I've got WGN obviously was uh, just like you, obviously big for me growing up in Ohio at the time. And now we're back in Virginia. But uh, yeah, it's cool to see the Chicago. You're not even in Chicago yet. You're such a huge, uh, you know, Cubs guy, obviously. So that's pretty cool to see. And I hope that lasts, you know, because obviously the the, the WGN Superstation went away a long time ago now. And it's just the nature of the business. It's, it's going to be interesting to see if the Cubs are able to maintain that national fan base when guys like us, you know, we're going to age out. So it's like, okay, well, where are you getting that next generation? Yeah, that's for sure. And it seems like going along that uh, thought, you know, baseball already kind of has a, they're already weird with marketing and Manfred doesn't help the game. So it's like, yeah, we'll have to see how that plays. I mean, Mike Trout's the best player in baseball and how many, how many of the average fan can even say how they know how good Mike Trout is? You know, I mean, I know it's everybody brings that up, but it's true. Yeah, everybody brings it up because it's true. <laughs> exactly. First off, how many how many games, uh, Cubs games, do you get to, um, or are you able to get to? Maybe maybe not every year or however often. I guess you're able to get up there. Yeah, no, I do go um, pretty regularly throughout the season. Um, I'm probably yeah, maybe ten games on average mm. in the year. Nice. Um, just you know, I, I want to do it anyway. Cause I got, I have a lot of friends there now and I just, I mean, I just love the Wrigley experience, but I also feel like it's part of the job, right? Like I feel like I can't, right. uh, can't write from the, the fan perspective if I'm not there being a fan pretty regularly. So it's a nice, nice, nice perk of, of the job. Yeah, definitely. Do you get to, uh, I should probably know this, but um, have you get to interact or I guess interview a lot of players or, front or anything like that or is it just more strictly from the fan side no we yeah we get to yeah i have communications with the organization um so i get information that way and also can speak to people with the organization but as far as traditional access goes Mm -hmm. uh we've never had it uh there was a time eh, six seven years ago i think because I was younger and doing this as like, well, that's what you're supposed to do. They should give blogs access. Um, it, they were very resistant. The Cubs were um, more, much more resistant than other organizations. And at the time I was very frustrated by that, but I have come now to appreciate that that actually probably set us on a better course where mm-hmm. now I think what the traditional journalists do is fantastic and important and necessary and fundamentally different than what we do. And I think that uh, now we probably could get access, but I'm not so sure that we want it because I'm not sure mm. that it's going to help the, right. the, the, the voice that we're trying to be, which is that, you know, we're, we're just trying, we're trying to share and analyze and um, 
digest information about the sport and experience the sport just as a fan. And so, right. I, yeah, I do. I worry. I would worry a little bit about intermingling those things. Yeah, you know, my uh, so I had a podcast recently with my our uh, site manager at the Canon, and you know, he's he's kind of said the same thing. He likes he doesn't want to be credentialed. He likes covering it from the fan side of things. And I've always thought I would love to even just one time get a credential, just do it at least once. Yeah. But yeah, same. right. Just for the, and again, that's like self, right. Like right. I, I kind of want to experience it just to, yeah. and I think, and I may try to do that. I may be like, hey, come on, let me just yeah. come do one yeah. time. And I won't, I won't ask any stupid questions. I won't, uh, I won't eat all the snacks. <laughs> just, just, just let one me one day. One right. Exactly. I totally, I totally <laughs> get that. Uh, I did want to ask you too. Uh, so it definitely feels like, and I mean, I'm, I mean, the, we've kind of known for a while, like Theo has always said, basically 10 years at one team, that's it. And he's about to be at that point now. Uh, so not really a surprise that that transition is already starting. He already pretty much said as much or hinted as much at least. But do you think that Jed would be the next president? Or do you think that he would just be the GM? They wouldn't necessarily have a president? Or do you think that Jed would even go somewhere else and they would just kind of overhaul the front office? Yes, I think you just asked the right question. <laughs> and I, I mean, I think that um, I, I am certain that those conversations are happening behind the scenes. And I think it's probably what's tricky is, you know, you, you want Theo to be part of the transition. But I would right. imagine with some level of certainty that if Jed wants to run baseball ops, then Theo would endorse that. But what if at an organizational level, the Cubs want to go a different direction? And that's kind of awkward because you can't really have Theo yeah. stewarding if part of the stewarding is going to be canning his friend who presumably wants to yeah. run it. So that's tricky. But I do think it is entirely possible, like exactly like what you said, that it may be that Jed just stays the GM and Theo just leaves. And and so Jed's in charge because the GM and, you know, these are, <laughs> these are, um, tight times. And so it would not shock me because that's probably a big savings. Now, do would I much prefer that the Jed would be elevated so that the Cubs would have that space available to bring in another you know, person to a front office that has suffered a lot of brain drain the last five years? It's a credit. You know, they, they, they're getting poached left and right because they were bringing in some of the top talent. But mm -hmm. you'd hate to see just from a pure talent standpoint, a, a, a guy like Theo Epstein leave and not have someone else coming in to help sort of you know revamp the organization. And again, whether that means that Jed Hoyer stays and ascends to the presidency, whether it means Jed Hoyer stays on as the GM and the Cubs may bring in another AGM or something, whatever it is, I, I'm good with. Uh, I just would like to see, you know, if I had my druthers, it's that everyone knows what the plan is going to be soon. And maybe that means Theo stays and, and, and transitions this next year, the final year of his contract. Um, and they spend that time get, getting Jed ready, getting you know, a search yeah. process for like the next sort of number two, whatever it is. I just hope that everybody participates in a very thoughtful, long process because it's a, this is rare that you have an opportunity to have yeah. someone that you already know in advance is going to leave in a year on good terms. Everybody's still working together, pulling in the same direction. So like take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to say the least, no matter what, but I, um, I don't know. It's, you know, I, it's been weird, hard to see the team suffer the way it has and 
recent years, but now it's just kind of like, all right, they've kind of hit that point where you're like, the reset is ready somehow. I was kind of ready for it in 2019. I was thinking before they got Castellanos at the trade deadline, I was like, you know, I kind of want to see like a 16 Yankees type retool, but you know. Yeah, they were, to be honest, they were thinking the same thing too. Yeah. I mean, they, they have been, I think at an organizational level prepared for a couple of years now, the possibility of doing that and circumstances just, they were too competitive in 19 yeah. and then they... Of course, they tanked after that, but they were too competitive in 19. And then last year, pandemic blew that plan up. And But it does feel, it, I don't know, it just feels very organic right now. To yeah. Whatever it's going to be, you know a lot of these guys are not going to be back anyway. Players and Theo. So use this time and transition. We don't want the team to suck for a couple of years or anything like that. But, you know, something needs to happen. Yeah, definitely. Now, I did want to get to your thoughts on the Blue Jackets. So um, I thought that was pretty cool because I didn't know. I mean, I knew you being in Columbus. I was wondering if you uh, watched the the team or uh, follow them as much. So you said you do get you do get to a couple of games, though. Yeah, but I'm so I've probably been to, I don't know, maybe 15 games or so over over yeah. my 14, 15 years in Columbus. And I love it. I love the experience. But I'm like totally one of those like casual going with friends for the experience kind of thing. Like, right. again, I get hockey. I know I, I understand the sport, but I could not tell you. I'm embarrassed. It's awful. I, I don't think I could tell you someone on the Blue Jackets right now. Don't think I could. Did you uh, watch any of the uh, whether the NBA or the NHL bubble, the, the playoffs over the summer? Yes. Uh, not much NHL. Uh, not a ton yeah. of NBA, a little bit more NBA. Mostly just to, well, I watched some of the NBA finals because I was sort of into it, but um, a lot of my bubble watching was just like, okay, I kind of want to see what this is like, just, you know, <laughs> yeah. with like the editor hat on. Yeah, it was so weird. I mean, once I got past the fact that we're playing hockey or basketball in August, you know, it was that was weird. But yeah. <laughs> once you remember, like, yeah, of course, the pandemic and stuff, uh, it was really cool to watch it and just have the games on uh, in general. I mean, as you said earlier, there was a lot more important stuff happening in the world. But at least for a minute, you could watch a game and just kind of forget about everything else. But it was cool how the NHL, for, you know, in particular, played it uh, off with the bubble and both the NBA and NHL had no positive cases or anything like that uh, went off really well. But um, yeah, you know, talking about the Blue Jackets, I haven't been to, like, I haven't been to Columbus since we moved back to Virginia in 2004. So it's been forever, but um, I still follow the team, watch them, you know, all that. Yeah. The atmosphere was always fun going to games. Even, I mean, you know, they're, they're finally a playoff team obviously now, but uh, they haven't had a lot of winning in their overall history. And so I remember going back to games in the early 2000s and team wasn't good, but the atmosphere, the arena atmosphere was always fun at least. So I'm sure, I'm glad to hear that that's, you know, it's still a top atmosphere or it's a fun environment at least. Well, when you get back this way, we'll, we'll go to a game. It can be my, that can be my annual game where I'm like, I'm go. just going to have fun and you can, you can tell <laughs> me about all the players. Yeah, definitely. I could definitely, you know, they finally have, um, well, their goaltending has always been pretty good the last few years. You know, Bobrovsky's gone, and now they got this guy, Elvis. He's been really good. He just had his first year in the NHL. So, goaltending. Did you say Elvis? Yeah, Elvis Merzlikens. So, goaltending okay. and defense are good. Offense, oh, talk about offense. Cubs offense sucked. Blue Jackets offense, not much better. All right. But the Bears offense, Bears offense isn't all that great. So, I don't know what's going oh, on there, God. but... Uh, yeah, real fast. What are your thoughts? I mean, I, I, I can I can <laughs> guess what your thoughts on the Bears are, but uh, five and three. But are they the worst five and three team ever? That's the worst five and three team I've ever seen. I mean, I get frustrated <laughs> too because the coaching staff is like, 
you know, they've got that. Like, how are you? I'm so upset with us. We're five and three. And it's like, because we can watch the games and we can see. Yeah, the defense is great. And they invested heavily in it. So, you know, to some extent, it should be great. But I mean, I just, I crush the Bears right now for their offensive line woes. Because Mm. I was railing on it last year. It was crystal clear that it was a desperate need last year. And they did nothing. Nothing. And Ryan Pace has not drafted a... And drafted a tackle in six years. I mean, I think his entire time. So it's like, what did you think was going to happen? It, not only did they not positively impact the line uh, this offseason or even last year in the, any kind of meaningful way, they also didn't add any meaningful depth. And so now it was already bad, but they're getting crushed with injuries and some COVID issues now this week. I do not know who's going to be on the line. They're going to have to convert some like, dang, they're bringing in guys who haven't played in two or three years to be like, Hey, can you be on our <laughs> offensive line this year, this week? Oh, it's a disaster. And like, and I've been hearing rumors or not, maybe not rumors, but whispers like, well, is Tyler Bray going to be a quarterback this week against Tennessee? I mean, who knows? Yeah, that's not good. Well, cause Trubisky's hurt now again, he is one play he came in for one running play and hurt his shoulder and Bray might not actually even be available because he's in the COVID <laughs> protocol now. Oh, so it might okay. be Nick Foles and no one. They, the Bears had to bring in. It's wild. The Bears brought in a couple guys to work out to maybe add to the practice squad, but that was because of Trubisky's injury. But now Tyler Bray might not be available either. So they might have some brand new, washed up guy that they just brought in uh, as the backup, and and that's with Nick Foles playing behind a line of a bunch of random guys. So he's going to get crushed. And I mean, it's going to be a disaster. Well, at least they're five and three and have a shot at the playoffs. (laughs) Sounds (laughs) like the Cubs, but uh, well, Brett, thanks so much. That's all I had, but thanks so much for coming on, shedding a lot of light and getting into all kinds of things. So I definitely had fun. Yeah, man. Happy to do it and appreciate you having me on. That's Brett Taylor of Bleacher Nation. You can follow Bleacher Nation at Bleacher Nation across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can also follow Brett at Brett underscore A underscore Taylor. The music is by John Christian. He has a band called Let It Sleep. He's on Spotify and you can find this podcast everywhere you get your podcasts. And we will see you next time.